So I'm joined here today with uh, Jacob J. Fellows. He's going to talk to us a little bit about cooking uh, wild game. And I'm thinking first up, Jacob, why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Well, my name is Jacob Fellows. I, like you said, I'm from Little Valley, New York, um, out in the country. I live in my Amish cabin that I had made for $12,000. Um, I was a chef for 24 years. The, uh, the beginning of my career was probably the best. Um, I spent five years as an apprentice um, under a French chef um, who has gone on to cook at some Michelin star restaurants. The restaurant I cooked at him with uh, was not a Michelin star restaurant, but his capabilities were already there at that point. Um, and I grew up hunting, gardening, and foraging um, pretty much my entire life, right up until about 2005, um, when things just got too hectic. And I started getting back into it um, recently, more about 2010. So nice. That's nice. where I am. So uh, you talk about, you know, the, the French cooking that you apprenticeship under. You talk about the wild game. So do you kind of like level up, I guess, your outdoor, uh, your game meets in comparison to like what I would do is just, you know, just basically sear steak, throw a little uh, mashed potatoes <laughs> with it and be good to go. Are you kind of just trying to raise the bar a little bit more than that? I. Well, that's kind of a complicated answer. Um, in the beginning, when I first started um, learning how to cook French cuisine, the guy that I learned from had just come from San Francisco. He came to the hinterlands. He came to Ellicottville, find a lot of the items that he was used to. Um, so what we started to do is fill in the gaps with local items that we could either forage for or grow ourselves. Um, so it was actually kind of an interesting process where, I don't know if you want to, we, we bastardized French recipes <laughs> with local ingredients, you know, okay. um, like we pick our own wild leeks. Um, we do fiddleheads when we could, um, lily of the valley. I'm not sure if you know, like mm -hmm. cowslips. Um, I did, I did trout lilies, which. I'll never do again because that's actually a diuretic. I found that out. Um, <laughs> we did our own sunchokes. Um, I had my own herb garden, vegetable garden. Then we did a lot of uh, buying from local gardeners and farmers. Those farm stands on the side of the road are legit. You know, they always have a lot of really good products that you can get to bolster um, what you uh, what you need. Um, but yeah, so like even when when it comes to deer like this year um there's my dog my <laughs> sister and my father both got deer this year um i don't normally hunt anymore i just do all the butchering and the processing um they both got deer so we took they wanted the meat sure they got it um i took the the leg bones and all the fat around the organs and then all the suet fat like underneath the hide okay. and of course I rendered down the suet fat and actually made suet for the birds. Um, I rendered down the, all the fat around the organs. I always forget the name of it, but it's good for cooking if you render it down. And it's got an incredibly, incredibly high flash point. So you can really sear something in uh, 
some good deer fat. Um, and it's hard as a rock, like once you render it down. And then with the bones, the, the leg bones, I made those into uh, demi-gloss. So um, cooked them off with some herbs and tomato paste, threw that in a big stock pot with mirepoix, which is celery, onions, and carrots. Um, deglazed all that once it caramelized nicely with some red wine, Madeira, Marsala, let the alcohol burn off, filled it up with water, and then left that for about four days on a low simmer, skimming off the grease until I had a beautiful, um, probably about 16 quarts of liquid, um, strained everything out, and then took that liquid and reduced it down to about one quart. So I had about that much. And it's just like a beautiful gelatin, and you can add it to any sauce as you go, any gravy, anything like that. And I actually froze it in ice cube trays, and I have it in my freezer. Oh, really? Up to my parents' house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, like, that's a good way to use a lot of the stuff that a lot of hunters aren't going to use. Um, I mean, you can't, you definitely don't want to use the, the back, you know, you don't want to use the spine or the skull, of course, but those leg bones on a deer, um, they make some wonderful, wonderful uh, demi-gloss or espanol if you don't reduce it. Um, so yes, it did. It, it kind of went both ways where you're saying, did it step up my, my cooking a game a notch? Um, yes, but my ability to forage and cook wild game also upped my game in the French cuisine. Because okay. otherwise, you know, we what what would we have used? You know. Right, exactly. You kind of had to use all that local produce, local whatever you can more or less find. Correct. Uh, yep. Kind of been really eye opening. I know. I guess I'd be more of the standard hunter, where you know I'll just throw the bones back, throw the hide back, and just grab all the meat and go. You know, package that all up. But so it's kind of interesting to really break it down even further than just the meat actually understand what you can do with with all the scraps and everything we also used to use it for um uh fox and coyote trapping when i was a kid you know the gut piles as soon as you have a gut pile usually it's in in um you're in your fur bearer seasons mm -hmm. so you just take your kind of bears up there set them up within the gut pile and whatever snooping around um yeah have a possibility again yeah yeah very true so that was always a thing but i did have one fox that eluded me um uh, i didn't descent my trap well enough and I actually mm -hmm. put the deer heart right on uh the tongs the the whatever the hell you call those on a kind of bear um it could smell me so what it did is it actually pissed on the heart to get the oh. trap to spring and then it took the bait and ran off. <laughs> Smart fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. They're cunning little, cunning little bastards. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So you keep bringing up the idea of foraging. And how, how do you go about, like, finding all this different stuff? Like, um, I know you just gave us a whole big list of everything. And is it just you just stumbled across it one day or do you know kind of the general area of where to find it? Like um, these riverbanks or fields, that kind of thing? 
Yeah, well, I grew up with a, my mother grew up doing a lot more foraging and gardening and my dad grew up doing trapping and hunting mostly. We don't have any real fishermen in my immediate family, but, um, and we're on familial land that we've been on for 60 years. So I know where the leeks are. Um, I know where the birch trees are. I know where the maple trees are. Um, every now and then you stumble across something. A few years ago, I found a nice little spot with some uh, watercress, which okay. is just a wonderful little green that you can eat. The other thing that we've been eating is the that horrible Japanese knotweed. You ever seen the okay. Japanese knotweed? Uh, it looks like ornamental bamboo and it just spreads everywhere. Okay, I think I've heard of it. I haven't seen as much in Chautauqua County, actually, but there's quite a bit down here. It looks like bamboo's little cousin. Um, one of the things that's good about it is that it comes up early in the spring and you just get like a nice little shoot about this big. Um, and you can pull that up and eat it. Um, but yeah, it's a knowledge of uh, seasonality. Um, right now we're tapping maple trees. As soon as I pull the taps from the maple trees, I'll tap the birch trees. And right about that time is when the leeks will pop up or ramps, whatever you want to call them, if you're civilized. Um, once the ramps pop up and are gone, then you move into your gardening season, of course. Um, halfway through your gardening season, you get your berry seasoning season usually. And then you just kind of, I don't know, follow the seasons, I suppose. <laughs> you know? So it's like a, a year round foraging for you then. You pretty much just the winter year round just winter. Mm -hmm. but you can still i still do make um black birch tea when i have a sore throat so if okay. you can find a black birch tree you find the little like the younger branches that are you know smaller than your pinky if you snap those branches up and steep them in water for about 10 minutes in hot water you'll get a really nice peppermint tea that's like good for the throat so you can cool, do that yeah. in the winter Nice. It'd be something definitely to look into for this winter. Yep. I mean, we're kind of to the tail end, hopefully. So I mean, we'll see what we'll... I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right now it's raining 50. So I'm sure, you know, it's supposed to snow again. So mm -hmm. who knows? We could, we could be waiting until April before the snow actually fully lifts. Yeah. And you're not wrong. Uh, what's it out like? And like a lamb out like a lion or out what however that saying goes um yeah and it's western new york so you never know right we get all the the lake erie lake effect everything it just yep. screws it all up so as far as game goes what's uh what other game meats do you cook besides deer is there anything like interesting well, my favorite, and I know I'm going to sound like a real big, dumb hillbilly for this, but uh, my favorite is squirrel. I really, squirrel was always a treat um, because you have to get so dang many of them before it's like reasonable to like go ahead and cook it for a family meal. But it was always a treat when we had more than enough legs in the freezer and mom would dredge them in flour and fry them up for us. Um, let's see, we do duck. Um, duck a lot of these local hunters don't even like to cook ducks which really kind of pisses me off because it's so good um, but people just don't get how to do it um, 
Because I heard that a joke. Go, that one you don't you got kind of uh yeah, very hard not to overcook it. That's that's what you're trying not to do, right? Is that the big um, issue with it? It's greasy and it's gamey. Mm. Um and it and it can be tough. So usually what I do with duck is I, I cut out the breasts, I cut out the legs, I set those to the side. Uh, I bake it off real quick so I can pull all the fat off of it, put the fat in one pot, put all the bones in another pot with mirepoix and water to make a nice duck stock. But all that fat, I render down nice and slow, run it through a chinois, which is a, a really fine um, screen to okay. get all the all the debris and junk out of it so you have a nice clean duck fat you leave it until it's at room temperature take your breasts and your legs and pack it back in there like in a, a bread loaf kind of pan something about that size put it in the back of your fridge for a week to two weeks and just let that fat work through the meat and tenderize it okay and a lot of the times that'll actually cook it so then you can just put it in the pan don't even need to put butter, oil, or anything in there because it's already coated in fat. Um, and just cook it. And the best part about duck breast is you can take a temp on it. You don't have to cook it until it's dead, you know, like a chicken. Right. Where, you know, eat a raw chicken, you're going to kill yourself. Um, right. So you can actually eat like a mid-rare? Oh, yeah. Yep. That's how yeah. most people prefer it. Okay. You cook it over that, it gets, yeah, it gets gummy. It gets like tough. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've heard a lot of duck hunters in this area say they just don't eat duck. Um, cause I, I'd heard the, was the, the best recipe for duck is to cook it on a cedar shank, nice and low for 90 minutes, pull it out, throw away the duck and eat the, the cedar shank. Cause it has more <laughs> flavor. <laughs> oh, man. I, I just, that it, it annoys me so much. Yeah. Why hunt if um, you're not going to actually enjoy the meat? that's that's my complaint um but i have been getting a little bit more into um fish i don't okay. cook it as often because i don't really fish but um i have a friend who's a he just absolutely loves fishing so all summer we're eating pike trout pike and trout <laughs> like <laughs> maybe a little bit of bass here and there but that's about it um yeah and a little bit of bullhead. Bullhead's always good. Okay. Yeah, I've never had pike. Uh, traditionally, what I do is I'll cook up uh, perch and walleye. Those are the two that I, if I, if I'm lucky enough to catch a trout, I mean, it's kind of an ongoing joke. I'm, I'm a terrible trout fisherman. <laughs> I, I'm god awful at. I can be out there all day long and not get a single bite. And with trout, you know, for the most part, you can look in and see them in the water. I still can't catch them. <laughs> I, I, I still can't, can't do anything with it. So trout, not so big, but mainly perch and walleye. Mm. And especially with those, I like to just uh, batter them up and just fry them. And yeah, that's the best the, way I think. The perch, you get the saddles, right? Like it's like around each side, then it saddles up over the top. So you kind of have like two fillets connected by a mid piece. Yeah. I think that's generally how I've seen it. Um, and then the walleye, you get the two fillets, and then you also get the cheeks. Oh, oh, yeah. So. Well, 
Yeah, I'm not as big of a fisherman. We never got into it. It's uh, when I was a kid, it always bored the hell out of my father, so we never did it. <laughs> he just I, never got into it. Hey, you going to I, nobody? It's a lot of waiting. I know that. Yep. And as far as other game, well, grouse. We used to eat a lot of grouse when I was a kid, but um, in Little Valley, there's not as many logging operations going on. So we used to have a lot of grouse for the uh, um, that would come up uh, when you have uh, after logging operation, they drop all the tops on the ground and you yeah. have that like just the brush piles, acres and acres of brush piles. I mean, that's that's grouse habitat. We just don't have that like we used to. So it, it's just not as plentiful. Right. You know? um, I actually uh, I saw two grouse this hunting season. Both times, you know, of course, I have a deer slug loaded and wasn't about to just blow apart a blow apart a grouse. So I had to watch it walk by. It's like that's another one. If I could be out there specifically for grouse and it just it wouldn't show up. But deer season, <laughs> deer season, they'll they'll pop right up, no problem. <laughs> yep. No, that's and they'll scare the hell out of you too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every They're time. loud when they take off. Every damn time. The one that I used to eat the most was uh, yeah, the the woodcock. It's yep. like the the smaller one that it waits until you're almost stepping on it and just yeah. I don't like those those little jerks either. <laughs> oh man. Um, but I don't think. I mean, I've never cooked bear. Um, I don't think anybody in my family's ever got a bear for me to cook, but I'm waiting. I'd right. love to. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else I've even cooked. I mean, we've cooked a lot of uh, farmed game. I mean, but I don't, I don't know how much that counts. So um, red elk, you know, you can buy straight from a, one of the purveyors. I think it's Fossil Farms is what used to be one of the big ones. Um, I'm not even sure it's called red elk. I think it's, or is it red deer? And then it's whatever. Um, and we also used to get a lot of boar from that okay. same farm. That was pretty good. Um, some of it I got was rather greasy. So you had to watch out for that, but that, whatever, that wasn't that big of a deal. Um, yeah. And the weirdest, funnest thing to cook is actually ostrich. You ever get ostrich. the chance to cook ostrich? Yep. It is I don't the think... reddest meat I've ever cooked. Oh, really? I have yep. never, uh, yep. never even tried ostrich. I don't think I've been presented with an opportunity to give it a shot. Well, if you ever get the opportunity, eat it up. It's it's really good. Really, really good. All right, I certainly will. <laughs> mm -hmm. all right so i know you've been talking a lot about you know how you prepare different things now if you were to give me one recipe of any game animal of your choice what would it what would it be and then how would you cook it oh well you would I be mean, like this is the recipe everyone has to try what would it be Oh boy. Well, I, I know the meal that, you know, over there for years, I was, uh, I, I just, I stopped enjoying cooking uh, just because I'd been doing it for so long. And um, 
down at my camp the one night I cooked. It was venison. I know that's kind of passe, but I marinated some venison and uh, soy sauce, brown sugar, some corn starch, Worcestershire sauce, and uh, some beer. And then I had a whole bunch of, a whole mess of leeks. And I had some dandelion wine that I made, but it hadn't, uh, it hadn't formed properly. So it almost had like a snot-like consistency to it. It wasn't, it wasn't good to drink. It wasn't like I did something wrong, you know, but, right. okay. um, but I slowly, slowly caramelized those leeks in a nice big uh, wok and then deglazed it, like dumped in some of that uh, dandelion wine with some salt and pepper, chopped rosemary and thyme, and then just let it candy, like it just candied beautifully. And I served that with uh, smashed parsnips. I did with some roasted garlic and rosemary, and then did a quick fry of the uh, the venison. And with having the cornstarch in the marinade, it just thickened into a gravy right as you cooked it. I just put in a little bit of stock and like put that over the smashed parsnips with some of those leeks on top. Yeah, that was a death row meal. And all my friends liked it so much that you know it kind of made me feel better about cooking it got me back got you excited again it got me excited again exactly um and i know that's probably not the most complicated thing to cook but that's not the point of cooking you know to me the point of cooking is well a feeding people it's it's very fundamental to who we are and to survival but Mm -hmm. it's about that enjoyment and that fraternity and um right you know because Nobody makes good decisions on an empty stomach and everybody loves, like everybody's happier on a full stomach. Right. You know? Exactly. So that, that's what really got me back into it. There was a lot of overly complicated stuff that I cooked when I was um, doing the French gig. Um, I did a lot of rabbit raviolis um, because a lot of people are afraid of rabbit. You know, if you mm-hmm. put rabbit on a menu in Western New York, a lot of people have that image of like what you see at the county fair or you know what you have as a pet and it's hard to sell but if you shred that rabbit meat up and add you know add some tarragon and some um like uh, mustard seeds something like that uh, i do it in a like a dijon cream sauce like a um, that's approachable for people so i did do a lot of that um because the rabbit fricassee when i used to do that um which is just a lightly fried uh basically we always we always did half a rabbit without the head so you just cut it like bisect it right down the middle and then uh you get the front leg and the back leg um we just cook it like that unless you're a european that's used to that or like um you know even a lot of asian folks that are used to like they're not, how do I say it without insulting America? Like <laughs> Americans are afraid of bones. Americans right. are afraid of anything that isn't turkey, chicken, beef, and some I fish. Can... You know, Western New York, if it's not haddock, they might not even explore it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I can see that. So, I can see what you mean by that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not trying to be overly insulting. It's the way that 
a lot of us grew up chicken breast instead of like you know half a chicken or a chicken thigh or anything like that dark meat scares the hell out of people in america mm-hmm. um, um yeah so we did a lot of that stuff when i was uh cooking at stone creek um a lot of rabbit a lot of rabbit rabbit was good to cook and a ton of duck like i said a ton of duck because it, it's cheaper especially if you're buying from a purveyor so so even if it's not wild game, it still cooks up the same way. But you can be, you know, a kitchen manager or a chef and uh, a whole Muscovy duck cheaper than just buying the duck breast. And if you buy that, you know, that whole duck, you can render the fat down and pack the, like I said before, pack the breast and the legs into it. And that's called a confit, like duck confit. So you have that preparation. And then you have the bones that you can roast off and then use in a stock. So then you have a duck stock that you can make the sauce for the duck out of. Um, <coughs> so why not? It, it does take extra work, but you get more out going of going through those steps. You get you get a lot more out of it. Um, same thing with uh, shrimp and fish. I'd always order my shrimp shell on, and I would always order my fish as whole as you possibly could. you could save all the scraps off of fish um and that's how you make your uh your fumets which is just a fancy way for like a fish stock okay <clears throat> so you can use like shrimp shells lobster shells bits of any fish that you have usually you want to get away from the the greasier fish like salmon salmon's a notoriously greasy kind of fish right oily i guess um is the right word um but anything that can give you a scrap that is usable that they would otherwise well that a lot of other people otherwise don't use that's your value added right there right because like you were saying anybody can slap like a venison steak on the grill but who can serve it with a demi-gloss made from the same animal you know yeah and exactly. who, who can pan sear it and the fat from the same animal so there's really just kind of getting into like that end of um wild game cooking that i enjoy so like i don't have a huge extensive catalog of different game i've cooked but i've cooked every bit of it that i could right yeah, yeah. you're not you take care of every little little piece that you pretty much can yeah 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 so yeah, that's what we do. Nice. Uh, and you know, that actually just reminds me. Hearts. People don't cook the hearts enough. Um, especially deer hearts, rabbit hearts, and duck hearts. So it used to, like, you used to do hearts two different ways. You can either cut it up nice and thin so it almost looks like um, circular spaghetti, basically. Um cook it up in some butter with brown sugar, wait for it to caramelize nicely, deglaze with some brandy, let all the alcohol cook off. That's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Another way that like a lot of you rednecks would probably like it for like hunting camp, I grind it up with some roasted pistachios, roasted asparagus, thyme, um, a little bit of ginger, nutmeg, and rosemary. Grind it all right up so it's a nice paste push it through a screen to get all the bumps and everything. So it's just nice paste. 
And then um, I'm sure a lot of the people that watch this wouldn't have a terrine pan. Do you know what a terrine pan is? No. It looks like a loaf pan, and on each side of it, it's got a pin. So you can pull it out, and it gives you two L's. So when you cook something in it, you can just pull the pins and oh, pull the okay. sides off. Um, so I take a terrine pan, and I'd either take, like, actual leek greens, which, you know, an actual, like, a French leek, the greens are like that. I'd blanch them and shock them, um, you know, it's hot water and then an ice cube, just so you get the green to come to the surface. It makes it look prettier. I'd soak that in gelatin and lay it through the terrine all the way, all the way through it. You can substitute those greens for bacon, which a lot of your guys would probably like better. And then I'd pack it with that, um, that deer heart and the pistachios and everything that I ground up, pack it right in there, fold it up and over, wrap that sucker in plastic about, you know, five, six times. So it's like nice and tight. Cook it in a water bath for 90 minutes at 350. Pull it out. And I'd always set it in the back of the cooler, the back of the fridge. And you weigh it down. Usually I do it with like 10 cans, like the, you know, the big cans. Yep. Put those on top to weigh it down. Leave it for about a week. Pull it out. And you just cut it up into nice slices. That's pate. That's all pate is. And then you serve that with some cornichons, which are just like the nice little pickles, some brioche bread or some crackers. That's something that guys would probably love to have at a camp. Nice little snack. And now yeah. can you do that with any heart or is that like deer heart specific? No, uh, I basically do the same dang thing with the rabbit hearts, um, duck hearts. Because again, when you when you when you buy a rabbit or a duck hole, just like your Thanksgiving turkey, it, it's always it has the hearts and like whatever else like jammed up into it. And you pull it out, and it's got it's in the little paper. I'd save enough of the rabbit hearts to the side to where um, once I accumulated like a dozen of them, I could roast it off and grind it up and make it into a pate. Um, nice. But, well, that's certainly that's, something different to give a shot. It, it's. You know, I'm not huge on the organ meat, but right. that is a way that I'll eat it. Um, I'll eat some chitlins here and there too, but I'm not big on organ meat. The pate is is a wonderful way to eat it. And then just, you know, slicing it up really fine and cook it. And cooking anything in brown, brown butter and brown sugar is mm -hmm. going to taste good. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So sorry, that just reminded me. I, I never uh, went over the order meats. No, that's perfectly fine. I like I said, it's all good information coming out. So mm -hmm. excited. I never I don't actually I've never cooked a heart, so I'm not sure exactly how to do it, but it might if be something to questions. give a shot. Yeah, if you ever have questions, you know how to get a hold of me. And there's a there's a wonderful God, I wish I still had it here i have a wonderful cookbook on how to cook wild game um, i just got it a few years ago but i loaned it to a buddy i wish i had it here um but if any of the folks that watch this want to get like a good cookbook that's going to just teach you like a variety of good standard ways to cook get the cia's cookbook the culinary institute of america it's a big freaking textbook you get last year's or like the, the previous edition. It'll usually go about 40 to $50. But I mean, 
it's a massive book and it tells you everything you need to know. Um, and a lot of it actually has illustrations. So like, oh, really? if you want to know how to like truss a bird or like tie up a roast, things like that, it'll show you how to tie the knots properly. And, um, but that's definitely something to look into if you want to cook wild game. Nice. That's, it has like a bunch of different wild game in it. Like a uh, good variety of wild game. You're not just talking like, you know, a small handful. It's, there's actually quite a bit in there. There is. Um, a lot of it is focused more on technique. Right. But okay. it's technique that can be applied to any wild game that you get. So okay. if there's a fish recipe in there that, you know, specifically for, I don't know, like char or like John Dory or something like that, there's no reason that you can't use that with, um, like a lake perch or a rainbow trout or, a, you know, brook trout or um, walleye. Um, right. Okay. Because wall, walleye is another wonderful fish. Um, that's probably my, my favorite local fish is walleye. Yeah. Nice. But, and it's what I meant to say earlier. I always get walleye and pike mixed up. Oh, do you? Okay. Always. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're the same. They're like cousins. You know what I mean? They're. I, I want to say they're some, from the same family. Perch, walleye, pike, they're all kind of there. Mm. I love it when other people cook perch because it is oh, such, there's, there's, there's no meat on a perch. And no. it takes so much to like get Blade a serving up. of it that I don't want to screw with it. Like just let somebody else. Um, same thing with raspberries. I'll always pay um, for freshly picked raspberries. I'll always pay for it because I hate picking them. It's the, <laughs> it's the middle of July. They're, they're in the middle of my forest where they grow. And you've got to wear pants and like long sleeves to go through the briars to get those damn things. I would rather pay <laughs> than pick those. Oh, that being said, I always pick my own every year because... I don't know anybody that sells wild raspberries, to be honest. But yeah. Do you have any other questions? No, honestly, I think that you've answered any question I could possibly think of. <laughs> like, oh, good. I think that, yeah, I think it went really well. I mean, uh, if I have anything else, I know how to get in contact with you. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Keep up to date with us during the week and also between episodes by following our Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok page. We'll put a link in the description.